Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. series uh, this month on the Psalms, and there's a few reasons that we wanted to do that, and I won't go as far as saying that the, uh, that the modern church has abandoned the Psalms. I don't think that's uh, the case, but we just think it, it's a good time to give the Psalms some particular attention. They've been the backbone of Christian worship, really, for ever. <laughs> um, Here's the thing, many churches, uh, particularly churches like ours, have really kind of dived into the practice of writing our own songs, our own worship, and that's a really, really good thing. We, our, our expression is that we call it indigenous, indigenous worship. And there's something to be said about that, about uh, having these expressions of worship that kind of come up out of our own soil, right, out of our, our own community, and that's a really, really good thing. It's a good thing. But there's also something to be said about undertaking practices that connect us with the larger body of Christ. Not unlike communion, which we obviously had just a little while ago, all around the globe, especially to the east of us, churches uh, have already done that this morning, just like we did. They've already taken um, the, the body broken and the, and the blood poured out. And then churches to the west of us will be doing that in the next few hours as well. So uh, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers around the globe did the very thing that we just did this morning. There's something neat about that. There's something uh, really great about connecting in something with the larger, along with the larger uh, body of Christ. Uh, but about the Psalms, uh, everyone remembers WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Uh, let's reframe that question just a little bit and ask, what would Jesus sing? What would Jesus sing? Spoiler alert, our topic today, psalms. Jesus would sing psalms. So that was essentially the hymn book of the early church, right? The psalms, that's what they would sing. And if Jesus was in a little storefront church, the psalms would be what's on the little overhead slide, the projector. If he were here today, that would be uh, his Spotify playlist would be laden with psalms. Maybe not exclusively, but there'd probably be a lot of them in there, right? The Psalms, essential, essentially the hymnal of the early church. And again, I, I don't think that we've completely abandoned the Psalms. If, uh, if you want to spend a part of the next week reading through all the Psalms, you might find yourself saying, oh, this song that I like, that was taken from this psalm, this phrase or this imagery or this particular uh, expression. So... We still experience, and we wanted to take a few weeks and just really specifically focus on this amazing collection of prayers and songs. So we're going to do that. Uh, specifically today, we're going to be in Psalm 51. And we need, I think, uh, some, some context for this, for this song. Now, uh, this is helpful. Some of the Psalms have like a little, a little introduction 
Uh, we don't know who wrote all of the Psalms. We have some pretty good ideas, and some of them are, are more obvious than others. This is an obvious one because of the introduction. It clues us in to the context of this prayer. This is essentially David's prayer asking for forgiveness. This is David's repentant prayer after his fall uh, from, from grace. And so if you want the, the full story, visit 2 Samuel 12. That's, uh, that's the part in David's life where he had uh, seen Bathsheba. He had seen a woman bathing from, from afar. So already creepy. He's already got the, uh, the peeping Tom thing going on. So it's bad. It's bad. Already it's bad. And it gets worse. Uh, so from there, he uses, he, you know, he's king at this point in his life. So he's already king. And so he uses his authority to have her brought to him, and then he knows her biblically. That's, that's Christian talk for sex, in case that wasn't clear. Um, so it just went from bad to worse, but it gets worser. Not long after that, he finds out that she is now expecting, and so he gets this great idea. Um, we'll just pretend it's her husband's, but there's a problem. Her husband is in the military, off fighting for, the, for his country. It just gets better. And so he thinks, oh, that's fine. We'll, we'll have him brought in from the, from the field, and they'll be together again, be together. And people will just assume that it's his baby. Maybe they won't do the math. He's really kind of banking on people not being good with math. So Uzziah refuses, and so David again, comes up with a really horrible idea. They're going to pull the front line back, leaving Uzziah exposed. And he does that very thing, and Uzziah gets killed. Bad, bad, bad. This is no good. And so Nathan, the prophet, God had illuminated to Nathan what had, what had happened. And so Nathan goes to David he gives him a parable, and David doesn't catch on that the parable is about him. So he gives him a, a parable about you know, this terrible thing that this man had done. And Nathan says, what do you think we should do? And David says, oh, he's so angry. He said, we should kill that guy, or that guy should be killed. And Nathan says, gotcha. It, it's you. You're the terrible person. And so to David's credit, he doesn't get defensive. He is convicted. He repents. And I don't know about you, sometimes in Scripture there are certain passages or certain stories where you, you kind of wish you could just see more or hear more, right? Like, like uh, Lazarus. Wouldn't it be nice to, to have a little sit down or to hear a little bit more about his experience, right, when he was dead? <laughs> what was it like, you know? So there's passages sometimes you're like, man, I wish I could have a little more behind the scenes, what's going on. And this is one of those neat occasions. The Psalm, Psalm 51 is a gift in that way because it gives us some insight really, into what was happening in David's heart. This is his prayer. So why don't we read this together? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not, cast, uh, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Then I will teach transgressors your... Oh, sorry. Again. Uh, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Okay, so that's a lot. And in the time that we have, we can't mine every single amazing nugget from this, but there's a, a, there are a few things uh, that I would like to, to point out. Um, there's a little bit broader context for all the Psalms uh, that, that jumped out at me first. So one thing I want to point out is a little bit of irony, at least as, as I see it. See, about half of the Psalms uh, are kind of like praise kind of worshipful language, praise language. About half of the psalms are kind of lament language, you know, what was me and that sort of thing. Uh, and then another half <laughs> is, just trust my math, I did all the research. Another half is, you know, forgive me for my sin. And then another half is, Lord, smite my enemies. There's a lot of that. And a lot of that, you know, David didn't write all the Psalms, but he wrote more than anybody else. And he in particular has several moments where he's like, Lord, smite my, <laughs> smite my enemies. So I find a little irony here. And if it sounds like I am picking on David, I'm not. Um, I actually find it very relatable. I think it's apparently been one of the uh, a natural impulse uh, throughout the, the entire history of the church, to want mercy for ourselves and judgment for others. Amen. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> we have uh, we can have a biased way of praying, uh, and we see that uh, manifest in a lot of different ways. We can take the political climate. So, if my favorite candidate, a candidate I endorse, does something really horrible or stupid, and people are all over him or her, I would say, um, guys, <laughs> uh, nobody's perfect. We should pray for them, right? Let's call off the witch hunt. Right? We should pray for them and, you know, who, who's without sin, right? If it's your candidate, what I'll probably say is, well, that's the Antichrist. 
<laughs> Forgive my guy. Your guy's the Antichrist. Maybe we should just make a pact all together. Let's just say all politicians are the Antichrist. Let's just say that we can all be in agreement, except Max Wise, if you're listening, not you. Max is my friend. But all the others are trash. I sometimes I get confused after uh, you know a- athletic events, you know, basketball game or uh, you know the post game interview. I just want to thank God for the for the W for giving us the W. I find that a little confusing sometimes. They never interview the losing team. I mean, they interview the losing team, but you never hear them address this idea. Man, that was that was really rough out there today. We had to face the other team and the officials and God. <laughs> If we had known God was on the other team, we probably wouldn't have played. And if you're the winning team, even if you believe that, are you sure you want to broadcast that? Because what you're saying is God was on your team and you still only won by three points in overtime. How bad were you before? God signed up. We can be a little biased in who we want to receive mercy, who we want to receive judgment. I think it's a pretty natural thing to do. But this is what I think is interesting about this in Psalm 51 in particular. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking that God in the Old Testament was much angrier back then. Flooding the earth, all the Sodom and Gomorrah, turning people into salt. He just seemed angry to me until Jesus came along and kind of smoothed things out a little bit. But the God of the Old Testament always seemed angry to me. But I think one thing that we see in the life of David and here in Psalm 51 is that maybe that isn't the most accurate thing, idea. Look at what David says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. David's not appealing to God out of his own merit. He's not saying, hey, I'm the king and I've done a lot of good things. You know, I've done a lot of good things for you, for your kingdom. No. No. He doesn't do that at all. He appeals to the unfailing love and the great compassion of the Father. If you haven't had a chance, I encourage you to read Brian Zahn's book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. It deals quite a bit with this idea that Jesus is the good cop and God's the, and the Father's the bad cop, right? So maybe, just maybe, we've misunderstood a little bit this God in the Old Testament that even back then, even back then, He was a God that preferred mercy over judgment. And I know you might be tempted to think, well, David, he's kind of the guy. So, yeah, of course, he had a little bit longer leash than maybe an average Joe. This is the king of Israel. It's one way to look at it. Um, I know we have some college professors in the room, right? At least one. I know we have some others here. Um, 
if there's a student in your class that never shows up, doesn't do any of the work, and hasn't you know, really sought any attention, and you notice on Facebook or Twitter or somewhere they say something scathing about your class, oh, it's a terrible class, the teacher's no good, that would, that would not feel great to see, right? That'd be one thing. What if there's a, t- uh, a student that you've really invested in, it's been to all the classes, and you've answered all their emails, and you've had special appointments, and you've really poured into the student, and then they go online and say, oh, this teacher's trash. A little bit more weight to that betrayal, right? Or uh, that, that might sting a little bit more. So, yeah, on the one hand, you could say, well, it's David, you know, he's God's guy. But you could also look at it from the fact that David had been given much. And that is how he chose to steward his power. The betrayal was significant. So let's not be too quick to write off the amount of mercy that God extended to David because of who he was. He was merciful on him. And if you look at the context of the rest of his life, we talked a little bit about what led up to this. But following this, we do see there were consequences to his actions, but we also see that his story from there was a story of redemption. That the Lord was merciful to him. So that's the first thing that stands out to me in Psalm 51 is that we see even in the Old Testament that God is a God of mercy. Another thing that stands out to me is the inescapable consequences of sin. So this is the fun part of the message. (laughs) The inescapable consequences of sin. So verse 3, we'll go back a little bit. For I know my transgressions... I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you... You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So to me, at first glance, this sounds odd. That phrasing, there's something odd about it because he says against you and you only have I sinned. Clearly, he has wronged several people. Bathsheba, Uzziah. Really, he's, in, in a lot of ways, he's betrayed the trust of his, of his kingdom, you know, a kingdom that's looking to him to be better than that, right? So he's wronged a lot of people, and I think this passage can be mishandled in a way that could enable people to avoid, to avoid making amends to folks that they have wronged. I don't have to apologize to you against God only if I sinned, Right? ever heard that? But this doesn't sound like David's posture to me. He seems sincerely contrite. This doesn't sound or feel like lip service. This feels like authentic, heartfelt conviction, right? So I think, I think what David is getting at here is I think David is acknowledging the limitation of his own position and power. After all, he was the king. So to whom did he really have to answer, right? He's the king. I think it stands to reason maybe that if he was just walking out among the people and he could tell one of his guards, I don't like the way that guy just looked at me. He's a king, right? 
to his credit, when Nathan approached him and said, gotcha, it's you, couldn't David have just said, so? I'm the king. I'll take any wife I want. Get out of here, Nathan. So I think what David is doing is he's acknowledging the limitation of his own position and power and acknowledging that even as the king, I answer to you. I don't think he's circumventing responsibility. Uh, And he said in the verse we just read, you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. That doesn't sound to me like a person who's looking to get out of his consequences. Uh, parents, I don't know about you, but I, this would not be an incredibly um, uncommon exchange in my house. I have twin six-year-olds, and I could say to Sonny, I could yell at Sonny, stop yelling at your sister, and she could say, but you're yelling at me, and I could do the parent juke and say, well, I'm the dad. I make the rules in this house. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, who are, who, are we, who are we kidding? No, I don't. And David realized he could not escape his own sin, even as the king. Uh, let's look at verse a couple more verses where we can see some of the consequences of David's sin. Let's go to 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So what did David's sin bring on him? Uh, again, if you go back to 2 Samuel, you, you'll see specific consequences, outward consequences to the choices that he had, he had made. But what we're seeing here seem to be the internal consequences of his sin. This verse, verse 8, really struck me. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let's just stop right there. What I hear there is that David at this point is so embittered or so broken. It isn't that he can't feel joy and gladness. He can't hear joy and gladness. Have you ever been so stricken with something that it doesn't matter if you're at a birthday party, it doesn't matter if you're at a wedding, It doesn't matter if you're at a concert, that you can't participate in any joyful experiences that are happening around you, right? We have a, some of us have an expression for that. We call it the pain cave. (laughs) David's in the pain cave right here, and he's asking God to let me hear joy and gladness again. It's the consequences of his sin are weighing and crushing him. He has a poisoned and embittered heart. 
See, there's always a, to- a, a toll on our sin, uh, from our sin. There's always a toll. And it may be the, lo- the, the loss of joy. It may be, it, he mentions all these other things too, like creating me a pure heart. So from head to toe, his heart, his spirit, all these things are being crushed under the weight of his sin. Well, what about folks that seem oblivious to their sin? That's also not great to become so comfortable in our sin that we then have hardened and calloused hearts. That is also not a great situation. So I think one thing in Psalm 51 that we should take note of is that if the king cannot escape the consequences of sin, we probably can't either. All right, so what do we do about that? What does God actually want from us? 15, verse 15. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. All right, so what we see here is that God instructs David to get 57 oxen, 38 rams, slaughter them, wear a potato sack on his head, write a scarlet A on his chest and a scarlet M on his back for murder, and no. He doesn't request, ask of him any of those things. And that stuck out to me a little bit. He does not delight in sacrifices. Isn't this still the Old Testament? When did we flip over? What did I miss? So again, this is a little bit like what we were talking before about an Old Testament God that we tend to perceive as being angry. I thought the Old Testament God required sacrifices. But what David's saying is you don't delight in these. What is he saying? What he's saying is he doesn't require shallow or superficial gestures. Attending church, being here, this is good. I'm glad you're here. Dragging yourself here in hopes of currying favor with the Lord. That's not what he's looking for. More than any gesture, what the Lord is concerned about is the the condition and the position of our heart. He's looking for a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. He's looking for humility. What does the Lord want from you? Not sacrifices, humility, brokenness, and honesty. He wants us to be honest about our transgressions. That's easier said than done. But before you can confess, before you can repent, at first you have to identify what the issues actually are. How do you know? How do I know? How do I know if I have unconfessed sin? Well, ask him. Ask him. There's a good chance he'll tell you. Ask him and then just be still and wait and listen and see if he reveals. There's some things you have yet to deal with. There's someone that you have wronged that you have not gone to. So on. Or there's a sin directly against me that you, we need to, 
hash this out. Um, back uh, a couple verses, creating me a clean heart, renew a right spirit with me. Um, the part where he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. I find that interesting. Uh, uh, where David's probably coming from, this is a one spot that might be a little bit different from our experience. Um, the Holy Spirit as he's been given to the modern church, that, that came along with Pentecost, right? David had a, an experience where he had witnessed uh, Saul, his predecessor, uh, fall out of favor, fall out of grace. He went off the rails, and God removed his spirit. And so I think that might be part of the context here is where David's saying, I've screwed up. Please don't do that. Don't take, don't take your spirit from me. So do we write this verse off as that's, that's a different context? I don't think so. I think it's still useful. Have you ever, I think it's still relatable, have you ever had a strained relationship that maybe you offended someone or they offended you and so you allowed that to create space between you? Does that make sense? I had a, <laughs> I had a good friend <clears throat> in school, uh, one of my best friends, and there was this little, little season of time where she's kind of weird. He was acting kind of weird. And something seemed off. And so finally, I approached him. I said, are you okay? What, what's, what's going on? And what it was is that at that time, uh, I had started dating a girl and naturally had given her some attention. And he felt... Uh, you know, whatever, uh, ignored or, you know, like I'd, I'd forgotten him, uh, was not the case. My heart posture towards him was the same. Still one of my best friends, loved him, wanted to hang out, obviously spending some time with the, the girl that I was dating. But what was interesting is that even though that my heart toward him hadn't changed at all, there was something of a little self-fulfilling prophecy there where he doesn't care about me anymore, so he created space. So I think maybe one way we can relate to take not thy holy, thy holy Spirit from me is to ask the Lord to help us remain aware that the Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. To help us avoid creating space between us and the Lord. Space that actually doesn't exist, but it sure feels like it sometimes, right? So maybe part of our prayer is like, remind me, remind me how close you actually are. So Psalm 51 and other Psalms are largely, among other things, they're largely a tutorial on being honest with God. We see that all over the Psalms. Smile, my enemies. <laughs> Being honest doesn't mean God's going to smite your enemies. <laughs> Confession, contrition, asking God to be near when he feels far away. Honesty leads to friendship, and when you're talking about friendship with God, that leads to worship. And so the Psalms are largely a tutorial about being honest with God, and that is a really good starting point. 
All right, if you're on ministry team, come on up. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.